If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. You know, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He talked a lot about the kingdom. Kingdom is used over 80 times in the New Testament. Not only by Jesus, but others refers to the kingdom. We have that language around here. You know, that $2.2 million for the equipment center is 2.2 because we tithe on, on, on what comes in. Some people say, you tithe on what? On a campaign? Yes, we do. If money comes in, we're going to tithe out. So 10% of it is going to kingdom. By kingdom. Because, you know, there's all kinds of ways we can come up with what kingdom means. You know? Make this to be the, the North Star, if you will, for today's message. The realm where God reigns supreme and Jesus Christ is king. In this kingdom, God's authority is recognized and his will is obeyed. When we talk about kingdom from now on, as I go through this message today, when I say kingdom, this is what I'm talking about. I want to make sure it's crystal clear. I'm not talking about somebody, you know, some ruler over in, over in Europe. I'm talking about King Jesus. And I'm talking about having voice in everything we do. We're kingdom people. We're called to be. Because if a king, if a kingdom has a king, the king has subjects, even though we're not called subjects, we're called his children. I'm trying to give you enough time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so meet me at verse number 44. There are two short parables that I think we can use as a vehicle to get a good understanding of the kingdom and what our response to the invitation to be kingdom people should look like. Reads like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he... As we look at these, these two short parables, reveal to us the truth about your kingdom and our place in it and your relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first story, and by the way, there are other parables in chapter 13. You might be looking at them right now. Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of heaven is light. The kingdom of heaven is light. So we're just going to focus in on these two for the time that we have this morning. Two similar stories back and like, okay, so he's in this field. What is he doing in the field? We don't get clear direction or clear guidance on what he's doing in the field, so we have to use our imagination. I believe God is all right with that. We've given imagination. Let's use it for a change. Okay? What is he doing in this field? Could be coming all kind of things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he was hired to plow it, or maybe he was taking a shortcut home, or maybe he was burying somebody in the field. I don't know what it was. Something caused him to be in his field, but we do know this. He uncovers a priceless treasure. We know that in that first, in that first parable. Now you say, I, I, don't, I don't relate to that. And this is where it's difficult sometimes in parables because it's a time 
it was not uncommon to find treasures in the ground. You say, why is that? Because they didn't have banks. There wasn't no uncommon for people to put their treasures, dig a hole and put their treasures in the ground. As a matter of fact, growing up in the rural part of Mississippi, I used to hear people talk about that. Go out there and get that, get that can you got in the backyard. You know, people, yeah, you heard that before? Yeah. But we, let's keep, let's, let me keep focus. So, so, finding treasures was not all that uncommon. They would, they would hide their treasures in there. So, as Jesus is telling this parable to them, they understood exactly what he was talking about. Because this is something that was common amongst them. Now, it's kind of interesting. Because the guy who found the treasure, I wonder, why didn't he tell the person that owned the field about the treasure? Jesus doesn't even talk about that. As a matter of fact, the guy in the first parable that finds his treasure does something odd. He finds it, and look at your Bible. It says he go back and he hit it again. He dug a hole and put it back in there. But what did he go do? Boy, he hit it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. The second guy, the second guy. Now, I was talking to somebody after the first service, and they said, I think these are the two, the same people. I said, well, you know, that's the beauty of your parable. You can look at it the way you look at it, and I look at it the way I look at it. I believe we both come out with some truth in it. But the second one was like a merchant looking for foundation about the merchant. But it's some things that we can go ahead and deduce because if he was looking for fine pearls in that time, pearls were the most valuable special occasions. But I'm talking about real expensive pearls. See, we now have means to go down in the water and get those pearls. Valuable. As a matter of fact, it has been said that Cleopatra her, all of her worth was in two pearls. This, this, this one who, who went after these fine pearls. It says that he was a merchant looking for fine pearls. So we can, we can gather from this that this guy evidently was kind of well off. But when he found one of great value, look what he did. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Everything. These two parables teach us three. How many? Now the first one got three parts to it, so don't get confused. But it's going to be three. Y'all keep me straight. The first thing that we can learn from this is that the kingdom is hidden. The king. Verse 10, the disciples asked him, why are you talking in parables? Why do you tell them this, these things in parables? Look at his response. It's not on the screen. You've got to read your Bible here. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has, has will, has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Then he goes on down far, further and says, this is, he was putting it to where only those who really wanted it could get it. We're going, to, we're going to go into that. The first thing, the kingdom is hidden. There's a, there's, I'm going to give you three reasons what's hidden in an earthly body. You have a kingdom, you've got to have a what? If you have a kingdom, you have a? 
and we're in the kingdom and we have a king and his name is? He said he knew him. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. The king was hidden in the way he came to earth. He didn't look like a king. That's why some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers missed him totally. Because that is looking for somebody to overthrow the Roman government. But that's not to rule everything and set everything straight with all this magnificent power and glory. We may miss him because he comes low. He comes as a servant. That's the way he came. And for that reason, many people missed him. And I think it was intentional that God wanted him to come in that way because, see, God doesn't want people that only want to use him for his power. He wants people who love him. Who lo- so he hid his power in an earthly disguise, a child born of a virgin in a manger that grew up amongst the ordinary family doing ordinary things. They got tired just like you and I. Not only that all others missed him, but that he may be able to relate to each and every one of us because he lived a life just like we did. Only Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. Anybody ever watched that movie before, Indiana Jones' Last? You, you remember the scene? You know, it had the guy who was on a treasure hunt. And he and his partner, they looked for this royal-looking golden cup studded with diamonds. And they said, this is the cup of the king of kings, they said. They were looking for the big, glitzy, the powerful. They wanted the things that looked like it could be a king. And so they drunk from it. And instead of giving them life, it made the man age a hundred years in an instant. And he crumbled into dust and blowed away. And the guardian knight, if y'all remember the scene, he just looked at him and he said, he chose poorly. <laughs> and then Indiana Jones... Indiana Jones, it's amazing. Who knew you could get beyond dying of a gunshot wound? And he picks up a plain, ordinary-looking cup. And, and, and in the movie, this is what he says. I, you know, when I read this, I couldn't believe it. I said, I can't remember this part. He says, this is a cup of a carpenter. And he drunk from it, and it gave life. And the old knight, he said, you have chosen wisely. <laughs> what are we choosing? Are we choosing wisely? Are we Christ? The situations that we find ourselves getting involved in, our own devices, our own scheming, because we think those things are going to make us all right. Another reason why the kingdom is hidden, because the power of the kingdom is hidden in its simplicity. In its simplicity. It's not complicated. No, it's not. The gospel message is pretty simple. Think about that. Something that you can just crush with your foot. But yet when it takes root and grow, there's a potential to grow trees, grow into a tree that are cracked concrete. The power of the kingdom is hidden in its simplicity. Talking about today, it's pretty simple. But you know what? 
as long as it's the word, it's powerful. See, it doesn't depend upon my intellect, my ability to wow you with the way I craft words, because you know I don't do those very well. I do, I do the best I can to speak some kind of Southern English sometimes. But if the word of God is in it, the word of God has the ability and the power to transform lives. See, we come up here, we're not speakers when we come here. We have a teaching team. We meet every week to talk about and plan and pray and research these messages we bring. We are preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Okay? I mean, I take this very seriously. And my friends, my, com- my, my colleagues take it very seriously as well. We don't come to give talks. You know, we don't come to give talks to entertain you or to enlighten you. We come to give the word that would save your soul. The simplicity. The beauty of the gospel is hidden in ordinary believers. Uh, yeah. Did I skip the first Corinthian scripture? No. Okay. There we go. Go back to the simplicity. I choose, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things before them. Gospel truth, kingdom truth is like a well. You get the best water by not widening the well, but by going deeper into the well. The third reason why we can say that the kingdom is hidden is because the beauty of the kingdom, the beauty of the gospel, is hidden in ordinary believers. I just referenced that Corinthians passage. I mean, look to your left. Look to your right. Look at the person in your front. And if you dare, look at the person to your rear. We're just ordinary people. That's what God does his best work. He's done it from the beginning of time. We don't have any big eyes and little U's up in here. Up in here. Up in here. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I mean, from, from here to the door you have. You know why that's important? Because, see, if we, if, if, even though I'm standing on this stage, I know some of y'all said, well, you need to stand because you're so short. If you're on the floor, I couldn't see you. But, but even though I'm standing on this stage, we're all God's children. And he works through all of us. You know why this is so important? Because, see, if we, if we miss it, we will miss it every time. If we look over the very person that God has brought to bring us the word about the kingdom. They're sitting right there with you. They're behind you. They're in front of you. That's why community is so important, so valuable. That's why we emphasize it so much. Hmm. In these two parables, in these two parables, 
Let me ask you, is your encounter with the kingdom of God like this? Is it like you have found a treasure that has brought you so much joy that you have gladly left everything else to possess it? Some of us can't say that. Okay, so I was on three things. The gospel, the kingdom, or the gospel is hidden. The second thing is, is that the kingdom promises a greater joy. Now, I want to talk to some people here because this is where we struggle at. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the gospel promises a greater joy. And this is where we struggle sometimes. Look at that verse again, the first story, the first um, parable. Um, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in joy, in joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that land. land. He sold everything he had and he, was, he had joy? How could that be? Is that the way we look upon the kingdom of God that we are part of? Is it more valuable to you to any other thing in your life? Is it more valuable to you than your 501, your, your 401k? Is it more valuable to you than your house that you have, um, your own come up, you know, how you're going to come up in life? Is the kingdom of God more valuable to you than that? Some of us can't answer affirmatively to that question. And I'm going to tell you why. Because some of us have a different image of the kingdom of God. Some of us feel like discovering that's not the true kingdom. I don't know. That kingdom you're talking about there is not the one that Jesus is describing. Others of us, you know, we look at the kingdom of God and, and all the, we look at it as rules and regulations that we've got to keep and what I can't do and the fun I can't have. We, 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 it's like it's a ball and chain that weighs us down. That is not the kingdom of God. It's little understanding about who Jesus is and what he's offering us. Write this down. God is not as upset at you because you want to be happy. Now, I'm going to finish that out in a minute, but let's get the first part. He is not upset with you because you want to be happy. Anybody in here read C.S. Lewis from time to time? Raise your hand if you do. All right, Scrooge and the Junior Dean. The junior demon had an assignment of an individual, and his assignment was to keep this fellow out of God's kingdom. Whatever you do, don't let him go into God's kingdom. The junior demon was doing all he could, but all of a sudden, this assignment he had started wanting to go to church. And so he went to the senior demon and says, told him what was going on. He said, what am I going to do? Senior demon told him this. Play up to the disappointment he feels at church. Make him notice the voices that are out of tune around him when worship is going on. Make him pay attention to the odd clothes people are wearing. The cheap Christian jewelry that some folks got on. While worship is going on, while the word is being proclaimed, you know, just get him to look at other folks and I bet it happens to you. When you stand up there looking at me. Look at that joker. 
I bet you he ain't got no kind of education at all. You see what I'm saying? And you have no joy. You have no joy. And then this is what, this is what impressive. And then we go out and we come up with this logic. I don't know, you know, sometimes we get it. Well, I guess it's just better to be in here and be miserable than to spend eternity in hell. Let me, let me give you a different take on it. Create a scenario for you. Let's imagine, just go back. Go back with me to Ju- July 4th, 1987, when I married this beautiful woman out in Fort Benning, Georgia. We had a military wedding. We had all these guys in, in dress blues. and It was just a fantastic, beautiful day. Our, our families were present. Just imagine now, if you knew me back then, and we went a week before July 4th, and I'm talking to you, and I say something to you like this. I want to ask you this. Would this be, I think I'd be much happier with one of those girls, but I just feel like I need to go on and marry Andrea because she needs me. Would that be honoring her? And that's not what happened on that day. On the day that I married Andrea, or the day I met her, I lost all interest in any other girl. That was a girl for me. And the day I got married, I wasn't looking out there at all the girls out there in the audience talking about, I wonder if I have a shot with her. I didn't care nothing about them and what I was giving up. That should be our relationship with the kingdom of God. That we have such joy in what Christ is offering us and making available to us that we have no desire to hope. John Piper, we've been looking at a lot of John Piper's writings and stuff in man school lately. He says it like this about people who have Jesus as their joy. He says these days when he started a discussion of faith with somebody, he doesn't ask the question anymore, have you accepted Christ? He asks, I ask you a lot in here, have you accepted Christ? But today I want to ask you a different question. Have you discovered him as your treasure? The gospel woos us. The kingdom woos us with greater joy. Let me finish that statement I had earlier. God is not upset at you because you want to be happy. He's upset for you. He's not as upset at you. He's upset for you. Because he knows that if you would just receive him as your treasure, he will bring you joy, unspeakable joy. And it grieves him. And he's upset, not at you, but for you. Because you just got to take it on home here. Y'all look like y'all getting the kind of bored. Let's go home. The third massive truth that I want to share with us today about the kingdom is that the kingdom requires that we leave it all. If we notice in the parable, both men in these parables had to leave literally everything else to possess the treasure. That was the requirement. 
in order to get the treasure. In the first example, he went back and he sold everything. First of all, he hid it. Then he went and sold everything and he came back and he bought it. In the second parable, when he found that great pearl, he went back and he sold everything. And he came and he bought it. This is the... This is the kingdom of God. We have to leave everything else. We can't have Jesus and not sell everything, so to speak. Some of us have a problem with that because we haven't gotten to a point where we can trust this thing all the way through. You know, going to have me a spare tower. You know, we get religious. Religion is just a simple way of trying to pay God off. We don't really want God to be in control of a part of our life. And we don't want him to be against us. So what we do is we got to keep him contained. So it's like we put him in time out. When I need help, time in. When the help comes and everything settles down, time out. Go over in that corner, Lord. I'll get back with you later. When we sin and all hell breaks loose, time in. When we feel convicted of our sins, when we have a false understanding of the kingdom of God, when we don't value with us, we start doing things like showing up at church, praying real hard because we're trying to get time in. Religion operates like that. We do the minimum requirement to pay God off. But that's not true relationship. That's religion. God is not interested in people who just want to have Christianity to keep him off their back. He's interested in those of us who seek him as a treasure of greater value, more valuable than anything on earth. Let me close with a story, and I think this will wrap us up. William Borden, B-O-R-D-E-N, he was the heir to the Borden Milk Company. Y'all recognize that name, Borden Milk? Now, it's still a company, I think, today. It's not as big as it once was. Back in the 1920s, it was one of America's... He graduated from Yale in 1909. And he had full reins of power offered to him. He was the son. He was going to inherit the family business. But something happened along the way. He graduated from a Christian, he became a Christian in college. And he, get, he became so overwhelmed by the gospel. He, he bought the treasure. He believed that what he was told was a treasure more valuable than anything else to include the family business. He believed it. He bought it. He bought it all. He was ready to sell everything and grab hold. He was going to be making sure that he did the will of God in all areas of his life. And so, after college, to Muslims, and his parents told him he was crazy. When he first got saved, it's reported that he wrote in the front of his Bible, no rivals. And he wrote in his Bible when he was saved, no rivals. Nothing can compete with what I found.
When his parents told him that he was crazy, he wrote in his Bible, no refusals. No refusals. Can you imagine us in today's economy? All at his disposal. But God had given him a mission. He knew what he was designed to do. He knew that he needed to spread the gospel to the Muslim population. And he throwed in his Bible simply, no refusals. So he went to Egypt. But after only four months, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. All his decisions. He said, no regrets. No regrets. As I look out, that's one of the biggest things that trip us up are the regrets we have in this life. He was able to say, no regrets. On his tombstone in Egypt today is a brief description of his sacrifices for the kingdom and for the Muslim people. And it has a simple phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Those that's going to pray, come on up and position yourselves at the altar. We won't prolong this. This is a simple question to you. Can you say, can you say no robbers? Can you declare no refusals? Is there nothing or is there anything competing with your relationship with Jesus Christ? With you being a kingdom man, a kingdom woman? One who allows God to have rule over every part of your life? One who, who, who knows that Jesus is King and Lord and Savior? Is that you? Or do you have rivals, money, status, addictions, plans? Can you say no refusals? I don't know what God's going to call you to, and I'm not going to try to speak nothing over none of you, because I, I, don't, I don't have it like that. All I know is this. When you enter into a relationship with him, he will guide you. He will direct you. And can you say no refusal? I end with this. It's a simple formula. If you will say no rivals, no refusals, I believe with every fiber of my body, you'll be able to declare no regrets. You stand to your feet. Three simple phrases. No robbers, no refusals, no regrets. If any one of those trip you up, cause you to pause,
convict you. That's what the altars are for. Respond as the Lord leads.